Jim just like cutting in and out of existence. <laughs> Is that what's happening here? As soon as you hit record, yeah, video went out and out. Uh, Got to do it again and turn it down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too too far gone now. We'll get Basically, it in post. Yeah, we, we're talking about stuff with Jim from Sound right. Signal. So that's what we're doing tonight. If you like it, great. If you don't. It's Alan's fault. Oh, professionalism has just gone downhill. <laughs> I've just hit rock bottom. <laughs> Sorry, Jim, but you're on the show that's rock bottom right now. We... Well, my <laughs> video's in and out, so this, for this audio-only podcast, it's going to be a major issue. <laughs> and and we're, in a, we're in a pub together, there's no video. We're, we're sat in the same room in a pub. In we are. O- of course. Oxford, UK. A- Oxford, <laughs> UK, yeah. not Ohio. It's 8 p.m. <laughs> yes. All right. It is. <laughs> How are you guys? You all right? No. Why not? What's happened? It's a bit warm. Hit 19, <laughs> hit 19 degrees. Which is what, 20, 20, 20 Fahrenheit? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's about uh, 68, 66 around there. I thought you then? used Fahrenheit in the UK. No. No, no you use miles and pounds. Yeah, we, still, we still use miles. Well, we don't really use... Do we use pounds? We still we use like kilograms and stuff, don't we? We do when weighing people. So you use both. Yeah. Would you just it's, it's, pick yeah. a system? Imperial or metric? I got a minute. I got a minute. The Americans <laughs> are the only country in the world that only use certain systems, by the way. And I think Fahrenheit is one of them. That, that is true. Yeah, but in, yeah. in, in but the we're, UK, but we're not we're, we're not mixed. We're not imperial That's and it, metric. Yeah. We're just That's true. We're just, old just imperial. Yeah, just America. Exactly. So. <laughs> it, it is weird in the UK, though, because we do have different measurements for different things. Like if you're measuring distance, it's in miles. But yeah. if you're measuring certain parts of the male anatomy, it's always in inches. <laughs> and but everything else is in centimeters and meters and stuff, isn't it? Um, yeah. And like when women wear themselves, they do it in stone and pounds. But when bodybuilders wear themselves, it's in kilograms. That's the point, actually, because in America, you just do pounds, don't you? You like 200 yeah. pounds. Like you don't ki- say like 15 kilograms. Uh, no, I, I, nobody says stone. I don't know what a stone is. Is it <laughs> really? Is it th- I, really? I, I couldn't tell you what, what a stone as a unit of weight is. No idea. Isn't it 14 it's... pounds is a stone? Yes. Yeah. 13, yeah. isn't it? Oh. <laughs> God's sake. Are we going to be splitting, <laughs> no, are we going to be splitting hairs here or what? But, so it's, but it's I, I think we've already lost the audience anyway, so we may as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what about how, the Ameri- how, how you guys do dates? What's all that about? That, that I really don't understand. How we what, do month? dates? Oh, Why is oh, month uh-huh. before day? Um, Come on, Jim. I, I can't. Oh, uh, man, I, I knew I was going to be America. on the hot seat here. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Can't it's, explain it's, it. Yeah. Should be year first, because then sorting in a in a yeah, list that's totally. numerical it should be year. Year month day. Everybody I gets get. it wrong. Yes. Year month day. I get, but 
month, day, year just seems mental. But anyway, love it. Anyway, Jim, thanks, thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks, thanks for showing up at the pub. Good to be um, here. I noticed that, that you you have an actual alcoholic beverage. I do. I was told that was protocol. I didn't want to no, ruffle absolutely. any feathers. Yeah, yeah what have you, yeah, what have you got? What are you drinking? Well, I've got something special. This is from the Founders Brewery up in Michigan here in the States. And this is KBS. It's their nice. Kentucky uh, Bourbon Barrel Breakfast Stout. So it's a Breakfast delicious stout. stout. Yeah, it's that it's sounds brewed. like something I could get involved in. It's very good. It's, <laughs> it's it's brewed with chocolate and coffee, and then it's aged in bourbon barrels from Kentucky, the state directly south of me. So nice. Yes. Sounds like my insides after after a night out. <laughs> I like the fact that it said breakfast to imply it's okay to yeah. drink at 9 a.m. Yeah, I do too. They I'm have a uh, hallelujah. They have one, the Canadian breakfast stout, which is almost impossible to find. But that one, they put like maple syrup and mm. some bacon gets in there somehow. It's incredible. But <laughs> it does sound good. I don't know. Fine. I, I don't know. Sometimes I think they go too far with their flavoring of beer. I think they should just kind of keep it stout i mean it's not like i want my bacon to be of stout is it when i have it and a fry up in the morning <laughs> just a simple man aren't you alan that's all it is mate ask me what i'm drinking what are you drinking <laughs> oh come on i'm drinking i'm drinking an oat cream ddh ipa <laughs> what oat cream yeah it's it's actually a brew dog it's duop duopolis okay I don't know if you've uh, seen these ones i haven't and if you can see because of the glare on my uh but it's an oat cream IPA. I don't know what okay. the DDH stands for, but yeah, I mean, here I am criticizing breakfast stouts and yeah. flavors of bacon. <laughs> you go, Jim's choice, and, cream and, and, yours. And, and here I am, the hypocritical hypocrite, telling you I'm drinking a flavored brew oh. dog. It's all oat it's cream. as well. What do you have for breakfast? Porridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a porridge, and I pour my beer over it instead of milk. <laughs> Yeah. Standard. That would Baileys and cocoa pops. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh that's, just rubbish. that's right. Yeah. Next time we're together, I'm gonna I'm gonna make someone try that. <laughs> that sounds oh. rancid. It's all right. Christian, what Christian, what are you drinking? Um, Baileys with cut now. Um, I've got um, <laughs> Yorkshire Farmer. We're from Real Farmers in Yorkshire. <laughs> nice. And then uh, for afterwards, I've, I've got a, a bottle of Gosheep Citrus Pale Ale. Nice. Citrus. We'll see. We're all going to sound like it fancy. It's a dessert. Yeah. You want a course meal. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got, I've, got, I've got a Tiny Rebel Club Tropica. And club just means club in Welsh. Uh, never, never guessed that. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Trop tropical IPA. Let me let me read you the. Uh, so to the eye, it's golden and hazy. To the nose, you'll get mango and pineapple. And to taste, it's guess what? Tropical. <laughs> so basically, it's lilt. Yeah, alcoholic. It's an lilt. Alcoholic lilt. <laughs> That's <laughs> what it is. It's great. <laughs> it's great stuff. Honestly, I don't know what's happening with the world, but beer is becoming a bit stranger. Although, in a way, it's refreshing. Like, your ghost ship is nice. I do like that. Ghost yeah. ship is nice, yeah. It's good. It's refreshing, but I don't know. 
we're going on the wrong path. I think with beer, stop here, stop, make it make it beery and hoppy. I uh, I gotta say I like it. I'm sorry if that makes me something that you don't like, Alan, but I like it. I like I like the variety. <laughs> I like the variety. I, I like I like a nice yeah. you know light lager you know with a with a burger and fries, but uh, mm. you know something you drink interesting. Guinness. Yeah, I like Guinness. Yeah, yeah, Guinness is my favorite too. Yeah. See that? That's yeah. just stout. It's just good old fashioned stout. Put hairs on your chest. It's delicious. None of this citrus and bacon <laughs> maple syrup crap that goes in it. It's just stout. Oats and cream. It's just it, exactly. I mean, <laughs> must admit, this is really nice. This duopolis. I do recommend it. Food dogs have come <laughs> right. up with a really good <laughs> flavor, by the way. <laughs> that's, that's just it, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, so, Jim, just to um, kind of. Can you introduce yourself? Let people know who you are, what you do. Yeah, you know that that'd be that'd be cool. Uh, my name is Jim Vada, and uh, I work for Seven Signal as the director of Global Wi-Fi Solutions, which is a very fancy way of saying I'm a sales engineer. <laughs> uh, I'm a CWNE. I've been doing Wi-Fi for about ten years, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jim Vada. Um, and I blog at framebyframewifi.net and Seven Signal has a uh, COVID-19 uh, promo to help work from home people. Um, check us out at sevensignal.com to get more details on that. Free licenses for 50 days. So, so that's my sales pitch for the, for the night. <laughs> nice. We'll, we'll edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I had to try. <laughs> Okay, so so what does Seven Signal do? I mean, I know obviously, you know, Ryan, our Ryan, basically is your free sales engineer for the UK. But uh, yeah, horse's mouth would be good. Sure. So we've got um, two solutions. Our Sapphire Eye sensor is a hardware sensor that uh, we've we've had for a few years now. Um, it's uh, it's a high-performance client that connects to all the APs nearby, uh, measures over 600 different KPIs when doing so, and it also has a spectrum analyzer uh, and over-the-air packet capture capabilities. So great for remote troubleshooting besides um, just you know validating that enterprise Wi-Fi performance. Then the other thing we have is called Mobileye. That's our software agent that goes on endpoints just runs in the background and it collects all the client side Wi-Fi data that it can, uploads it to the cloud, and then there's a web interface where we do uh, analytics um, and reporting on that data. So great for troubleshooting um, uh, client side problems, which are you know so pervasive in Wi-Fi, um, and and also you know reporting on client capabilities and client. Um, adapters and drivers installed and even following clients, you know, away from the enterprise, like uh, in work from home environments where uh, you might have to help, you know, an end user out with their crappy home Wi-Fi. <laughs> so a lot of different use cases. And what platforms is that on? All of them? Or... Mobileye is uh, Windows, Mac, and Android. Okay. Dan's yeah. getting Twitcher. <laughs> well, I know he's an Apple guy. I, I, you know, I'd love to have iOS support, but uh, the the platform just isn't very friendly to third-party apps. Yeah. 
Yeah, they want to hide hide that data. And they do a good job of it as well, to be fair. Yeah. Why, why, <laughs> why are they being difficult? Is it, is, it a, is it a company thing from Apple or is it um, well, just them yeah. being dicks or what? It's them, uh, it's them being the privacy company and trying to use that as a, a marketing advantage against Google, um, who's maybe not known as well for protecting <laughs> uh, their end user data. So by limiting the, like say the Wi-Fi channel scan results uh, so that you can't rec- get that in a third party app, you could use that data to uh, track, uh, you can, to you track, can track it, physically can locate where that device is based on the BSSIDs that are nearby. So, um, you know, that's a, Apple would say that's a, you know, privacy enhancement. We also, you know, we can't get the app to run in the background without, you know, special permission and things like that. So it's, it's very limiting. And even when it's running in the foreground, uh, we, we don't have access to like BSSID data and, and, anything you know layer one layer two that'd be really valuable so yeah yeah you end up just being able to do a speed test and a yeah yeah round trip yeah. time something dan it's it's kind of a related question but not for james for you if if you're <laughs> using an mdm can you get access to more of that information because it's a little bit more relaxed isn't it when you're when you're enrolled in a tool such as that i don't know if i've never tried to be honest with you so um as far as i'm aware no um you can if you have a cisco network you can get some data but because that's because the apple device will send the ap just before it joins a cisco ap it will send these are the other ap's i can hear and these are the signal levels that i can hear them at um and that's part of that kind of technical partnership that apple and cisco have um now you probably could if you had an mdm and you had uh, an enterprise custom app uh, where you gave yourself access to certain frameworks. You could probably have a in-house way of doing that, um, but it wouldn't be something that you could commercialize so if, and, if and use elsewhere. Jim, for example, had a, an SDK and allowed developers to build their own apps in their own ecosystem for Apple. Then that that could be a way around it, couldn't it? Partly. Yeah. One of the challenges is you'd have to use private APIs. Yeah. That yeah. you know, the Apple will change like that when they decide anyway. So yeah. Yeah. Apple are a bunch of. Are they? Being, <laughs> are they I'm, I'm going to rephrase from swearing, but are they being difficult or are they actually just are they flexing the muscles because they're so big and so powerful? They are a two trillion dollar company now, right? My take on Apple is that they became a two trillion dollar company by selling directly to consumers and they don't care about their enterprise business. It's just way too small. So they'll happily sell into to enterprise, but they're not going to make a lot of accommodations. It's kind of take it or leave it because the cash cow is, cons- is the consumer business. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I don't think it's flexing muscles because copy and paste, for example, I did not realize how many apps were stealing my clipboard data until apple enabled that feature in ios 14 and literally every single application you go on as soon as it opens it's got your clipboard there you know outlook teams and stuff like that that are used for work it just snaps it straight away for absolutely no reason whatsoever so you know if you're on on android and you don't have that protection how do you know that apps are tracking your location and stuff like that just because of the fact they can 
they are protecting your data, but they're also letting everyone know that they're protecting your data. It's very much a sales thing for them. It's like, yeah. hey, we're the ones you can trust. You know, we're the ones that, you know, are looking out for you. Um, but I mean, it's a marketing thing. It's a sales thing. And, and let's be honest, most people don't care for it. No. It's only it's only a select few Wi-Fi engineers who want that data. <laughs> exactly. and, yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We, we can, can we can kick it. and scream all we like, but I don't think you they're going to listen. Christian, you, oh. Alan, you. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about enterprise Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it a bit of a shame, really. I guess does that mean that um, uh, Google have the upper hand then in that case? Because one of the reasons well, why I've never uh, actually switched Cisco. To, well, one of the reasons why I've never switched to an, an iPhone, even though I should, but the reason why is because I can run all these Wi-Fi analyzer apps and have all this information which I can't with Apple. So for me, it's useful when I'm out and about to just glean that information just from you know a phone. Just you take know. a sidekick with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, strongly, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work, is it? But that's the only, that's the reason why, and I guess with with all of these kind of you know constraints that Apple put on, would you know would Google get more business that way from from people switching to Android devices or or again I don't think people are going to switch to Android devices just to be able to get that data out of them like a, like the handful of Wi-Fi engineers that can't be bothered to use the Wi-Fi debug profile or pull out a laptop like or yeah. airport utility. Yeah. It just it just doesn't move the needle at all in at Apple. Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I don't think even enterprise at all moves the needle in terms of features and development and things like that at, at Apple. It's just it's too small compared to their consumer well, business. I think yeah. I think I mean I mean it is small, but I, I think the MDM side of stuff like they have they have put a lot of effort into making these consumer devices workable for business. Um, mm -hmm. But again, I, th I think that's driven out of a bunch of our consumers want to use this for work yeah. rather than we've got a bunch of enterprises that want to use our equipment. Yeah. And I guess for our small use case, that's where Cisco comes along and they've identified yeah. that gap and they've built that relationship. And now, you know, if you've got a Cisco network and you use Apple devices, you can pull all that data back as you want and do what you want with it. It's a, it's a good strategy really from Cisco. What's curious about that? is that um, Apple is using 802.11k beacon reports yeah. to get yeah. those channel scan results back to the AP. And that's in the standard. So how they've, I, I, it's interesting that it's kind of like this proprietary feature using a, a standard uh, frame exchange. <laughs> but, but if I understand it, it's in reverse, isn't it? Normally it's the client asking the infrastructure so, for the report, but it's the yeah. way around for these devices. A beacon report is a separate feature in 802.11k. The neighbor report is the opposite, where oh, the right, AP okay. says, here are my neighbors. Beacon report is the client telling the this AP, here, here are the yeah. beacons I'm hearing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And it would be incredibly useful if more devices and vendors oh. uh, supported that. Because in a way, it's like, what if you could turn on a, a site map and just see all the beacon reports coming in if you could marry that with the location of the device, you have like a live site survey with yeah, the you know, RSSI of your real clients. That's, <laughs> be that's, amazing. What, that's what I keep saying. Out of business. Just, yes, just walk into it would a be building, incredible. 
Walk into but, a building, put 20 access points anywhere and just say, go on, clients, run around. Let me heat map. <laughs> but there must be... Let me know how some, good my design is. <laughs> there must and be something proprietary it. happening because yeah. app, the Apple devices only send that when they're connected to a Cisco or when they're associating to a Cisco AP. Yeah. They send it. They don't send it to any other AP. They'll, they'll just think, encrypt it. So why doesn't someone mimic a Cisco AP? Get, get clever and mimic being a Cisco AP when I could be a missed AP or I could be, I don't know, another vendor that but it's, other, well, vendors it's other, uh, other clients support 802.11k beacon reports. Um, I think some of Samsung's phones do. But I think um, that's just, the Apple relationship again, isn't it? I think they've jumped yeah. on Samsung as well now, haven't they? Yeah. And it's usually, you know, from the AP side, what would you, you'd have to build a lot to actually really take advantage of them. I mean, you could just say, here's the latest beacon report from this client, which is kind of limited value. But if you took it all the way, like we're mm -hmm. describing, where you married it with like yeah. location from fine timing measurement or some, some crazy thing to give a live site survey view, that'd be incredible. Do you not think that's where Cisco are taking it with Cisco Meraki and mm -hmm. Prime and DNA? And do, do, do you think that might be where they're going to go with it? I hope so. I mean, why do it be... if you're not gonna? You, you I need mean, a I... continuous loop for the for the heat maps and stuff like that. That'd just be amazing. It would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and you could play back and see a client's, you know, uh, full uh, view as it um, moved through a site map. Be awesome. And that that's what I find useful at the moment is the uh, for troubleshooting when you're looking at a client and going, what what can you see? That's that's really useful. But that's limited value at the moment, like you said. Yeah. Well, with Mobileye too, you know, we're capturing channel scan results on the clients we support. And you can go back historically and look at those as well, kind of in a, you know, like a, 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 a Wi-Fi scanner view. So would it be something that you guys could capture on, say, your Sapphires? If, if, it was, if your Sapphires were put in to a Cisco network, would it be something that you could you you guys could capture and map out and stuff? there's potential there um our sapphire i doesn't act as an ap mm -hmm. so i don't know if we'd be able to get beacon reports directed at us from clients no um, i was thinking more could you just hear just them? hear them because yeah. they're unencrypted right yeah i don't think they have a the beacon reports from the Apple devices i'm pretty sure they're encrypted if you do a capture of a client joining a cisco access point I've not spotted it, and I've tried a few times. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm rubbish at this stuff, so that might be why. <laughs> yeah. So the I've seen the beacon reports, and you can tell that it's you know an action frame, and it's a 802.11k beacon report. But if you look in Wireshark, like the values that for the, the fields still, kind of yeah. are are scrambled in some way. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not sure. That might be where it's proprietary well, i mean they're just they're just um hexadecimal values aren't they so you could probably it's, it's i think it's just the decoder in wireshark it just doesn't like it's not built into wireshark but i'm pretty sure you could just take those you know d1 and it'll be 201 or whatever it is um yeah it could yeah. be yeah yeah, yeah. nice there's well that's enough of talking about everyone else's random. products anyway <laughs> <laughs> I hope somebody yeah. does that though, because I've had that idea yeah. about eight hundred to eleven k for a long time. Yeah. It'd be awesome. And and it it feels like 
Cisco just aren't doing anything with it at the moment. Like they've, they've got this cool thing, but it doesn't feel like anything's happening with it. They've had it for the, a couple of years too. Yeah. And I've been waiting to see, you know, more come of that as well. Yeah. I've been, I've been digging into, into that um, a bit. Um, and the other things that Cisco give you with iOS. Um, there's some interesting stuff in there. Um, but a lot of it just feels like it was a great discussion and a great idea around a table. And then they've gone, yeah, let's do it. And now they're not really actually doing anything with it. It's, it's kind of what it feels like. Um, you know, even, even fast lane stuff, um, there's not a lot that people are aware of how that actually works properly. Um, so yeah, it, it feels a lot like, um, you know, companies like Mist and stuff that have, have come, you know, a lot of people have come from Cisco and things like that. You know, there's a reason why they're not trying to do these same things, which is a shame. Just, um, just, just coming back to the Apple iOS stuff, um, the mobile ID is supported on the Mac OS. Yes. So you yeah, can it... pull up data that we need. But again, mm-hmm. so... Why Apple saying no to iOS, but they are to macOS? Why would they not enforce the rules across all of their products? What is it that says, well, Mac, fine, but well, you know, iOS, yeah, no. I what's, think it's what's that's bullshit. Sorry, but it is, <laughs> isn't it? It is. I, but I also think if they built macOS from the ground up today, yeah, it would have the same limitations. I think it's just, you know, grandfathering in. Uh, it's, an, it's an operating system that actually yeah. was an open source operating system exactly. yeah. uh, uh, 20 years ago and still is. You can still download Darwin, uh, the open source part of uh, Mac OS 10 and, uh, and do whatever you want with it. So as long that, as they still have that, you know, kernel, I think we'll still be able to find a way in. Hopefully. You'll, you'll notice, yeah, you'll notice Big Sur is mac os 11 yes so i feel like we might start to see and they're moving to their own their own hardware now their own cpu architectures yeah 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 and while they have to have this backwards compatibility because it has to work on intel and arm then some of that stuff will still be there but uh, i think we'll we might see a change in three years time I'm afraid so too. Yeah, I think it would be bad, but I'm afraid so too. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, right. Well, there we go. So quick quick question for you, Jim. Seven signal. Why seven? Why not um, three signal? I'm going to get this wrong. <laughs> Where's um, the name come from? So, um, hold on a second. Let me, so why, sig- why signal? What's the relevance? <laughs> Signal, okay. So RF, no, okay. So um, Seven Signal came from our very first sensor. It's, this isn't it, but it has a directional antenna array around it. And you okay. could select like, oh, I want antenna six when I do this packet capture. So I could okay. focus uh, my, cool. you know, the the... Uh, the capture it had seven uh, antennas around it so seven signals oh, i see but you yeah. don't do that anymore uh we do actually we just have six antennas now 
not seven. So you should rebrand to be six, <laughs> yeah, no, no, realistically. So you're lying to yeah, us. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah. Consumer protections <laughs> in the U.S. are pretty weak, so we get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is your, what's, the, um, what's the biggest selling product for 7Signal? Um, our sensors are our largest um, selling product because it's... Uh, you know, it's it's our oldest product and it's got the, the biggest user base. But we're definitely seeing the most growth with Mobileye because it's entirely software and it scales very easily. But um, not an Apple product. Mac OS? Mac OS is fine. So are, are, you, are you finding that you're moving towards the software end of things because there is a specific need or is it because a lot of vendors now are adding in you know, spectrum analyzers, over-the-air packet capture, you know, it, was there a conscious decision there to kind of go, hmm, a lot of these, you know, like the missed APs, they're adding a bunch of that stuff in to the AP. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's focus on, you know, another part of, of this. Well, I think we've, we still see a, a real value in a, a third-party sensor being outside of that AP enclosure has some real RF advantages. Um, but um, we went with Mobileye, we went to Mobileye because there was always, you know, you can get your infrastructure just perfect top to bottom and really have it humming along and have beautiful site surveys. You know, your, your uh, seven signal sensors can show everything's perfect. The RF is clean. You got a great channel plan. And then you bring clients that are crap into it and everything falls apart. <laughs> and we found, That's you know, why lot... you're not doing iOS. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> oh yeah. They don't have any Wi-Fi problems. So, so yeah. So we found that a lot of uh, customers, you know, were telling us we're, st we still have Wi-Fi problems. Um, they're just problems on clients and what can you tell us about them? And it, you know, it became, an obvious next step is to get on the client directly and, and start pulling data from there. Yeah, nice. And, and it's, a, it's a unique corner of the market. I can't think of any other similar solutions, really. There are zero, just us. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Don't watch, <laughs> don't, don't watch Mobility Field Day. <laughs> uh, so have you not thought about ever competing with making your own version of an access point in that case? just to kind of go the other side of the spectrum? Uh, I don't think so. Um, you know, you there's already... manufacture sensor hardware. So mm -hmm. you ever thought about actually putting in a Wi-Fi chipset and build out a kind of different revenue stream for yourselves? Because like Dan just mentioned, you know, Cisco doing clean air and all these AP vendors putting in their own spectrum analysis and analytics and being able to change the AP modes to pretty much replicate what Sapphire is doing. Um, it's a case of saying, well, okay, we need to diverse a little bit. Was that ever on Seven Signals agenda at all? Yeah, no, we, we certainly um, talk to people all the time that, that don't have an interest in sensors. And, and that's really where Mobileye comes into play too. Because even if you have great analytics, you know, flowing from the AP, there's this whole data set on the client, living on the client that the AP is blind to. So that's what we're 
you know, that's, you know, another reason for bringing in Mobileye. And you recently um, kind of, uh, I, I guess, kind of merged the two of them in terms of kind of said, hey, if you want a small sensor, you know, rather than running it on your PC or Mac or Android phone or whatever, you could put it on a, you know, a small device, um, leave it in a particular trouble area or something like that. It, it, is that, what's the name of that? Is that, or is it just mm-hmm. mobile eye? It's, it's just mobile eye, but it, you can run it on a small form factor PC. Okay. So there are some really low cost, um, small uh, PCs out there you can get uh, about the size of a cell phone um, that you could run uh, Windows on and, and put our agent on it and use that almost like a mobile eye sensor. Mm-hmm. You, could do it, you could do it on a Raspberry Pi, then, couldn't you? Because they can uh, run Windows 10 now, I think, the newer ones. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Have you ever um, thought about um, sort of a, a Linux-based sensor or software for a Linux-based yeah, device? Absolutely. It's actually in active development right now, Boom. which would, which Ooh. will open up a whole, you know, whole yeah. new kind of, to Dan's point, uh, set of devices that are maybe not even end-user devices. They're more like lightweight sensors that just happen to be running Mobileye. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I had at a... Um, a series of Raspberry Pis up and down the country running uh, Wi-Fi Nigel's Wi-Perth. Um, yeah. But then you've also you've also got the Wireless Lamp Pi as well, which you know it'd be cool running a bit of software and that and having it taught back to uh, your, your Seven Signal dashboard. So I, I guess that's my next question. You know, you've got the sensors. What do they talk back to? Is it a cloud-hosted solution that you guys run? Is it? Uh, can you have on-prem uh, hosting or what? What does that look like? Uh, it's all cloud-hosted. Um, if, if you absolutely must have on-prem, we can do that, but it's very expensive and it's, you know, a Linux server that you have to maintain. Um, so, so most of our customers are entirely cloud hosted. You could just remote in to get all your analytics and everything else and all the information you need about your site. I mean, how, how, how customizable, how customizable is it in terms of, can you split, you know, different types of domains, geographical locations in Mm -hmm. terms of clusters of clients oh, oh, cus- customers customers yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so um it's it's uh it's very customizable it's all um uh, we have a topology you can build in safari where you can break up your sensors by site and region and um, country if if you're a, a, one of our customers that's like a global customer um, and then you can do reporting and alarms, um, you know, based on regions or sites. Um, it's uh, similarly, you can have automated reports that are extremely customizable with SLAs that you can define. So uh, we're able to meet most of our customers' uh, requirements around that. And another similar question, uh, a related question. We, my company looked at, I say my company, I don't own it. Uh, the company I work for um, <laughs> looked at um, Seven and Signal probably about four or five years ago now. And one of the criticisms back then was, you know, the, the user interface of the of the dashboard looked like it was from the 90s. And, and Ryan since says it's been updated. It looks great now. As, is he pulling my leg or is it, does it actually look more modern than it used to do? <laughs> Uh, it does look more modern. Analyzer um, got a, an overhaul um, over the winter, and uh, the next iteration of that is is an active development. 
So, um, the, you know, the look and feel is more like mobile eye, much more modern, you know, web, uh, uh, design principles that you'd expect to see. And, um, you know, part of the UI issue is that because there's so much data, it's like, what do I even do with this? Where do I start? Mm. So we're also building a more guided, uh, experience into, into analyzer, which is what presents all the data where you sort of start at a very high level. You can see some areas where there might be issues and just very simply click to drill down, drill down, drill down to get it to the very most granular data, you know, that describes an issue that you're looking at instead of, you know, trying to think about, well, if I'm worried about co-channel interference, what's the KPI I need to look at and go find it in a list somewhere. So to be, uh, you know, I think a better user experience. Uh, in just, that to way be, too. just to be clear that I'm, I'm not that shallow. It's, it's my boss. I, I do think of the CLI. I'm quite, quite happy being in command line rather than there. It's much, much easier. Fair enough. <laughs> in, in in terms of you know like the the kind of in thing at the moment is like AI, machine learning, you, you know all all those kind of buzzwords that are kind of banded around. It, it with your system is it is it like you're saying there that I need to be a CWNE to figure out what's going on or. Or, or does the platform kind of direct me to, hey, we've noticed that there are these issues. This is where you can go and see that, that type of thing. Oh, everyone's muted. Yeah, so we have, <laughs> uh, we have different capabilities for each solution. Mobileye has um, some automated analysis where we're going to, we're going ahead and identifying problems automatically. And, you know, we found with the right data set from the client, it's not that hard. So looking at roaming problems, it's easy to see if you've got all the channel scan results from a client that when it's signal strength is, you know, very, very low. And we look in the channel scan results and there's an AP with very good signal strength. We've got a roaming problem. Yeah. So we've we've done some really valuable problem identification in Mobileye. On the Sapphire side of things, we have uh, uh, um, alarms, so you can tie, um, you know, those most important KPIs that we measure to alarms. So if they go out of a threshold, you can mm -hmm. get alarmed that way. Now we want to, um, you know, take that to the next level and make those alarms more intelligent. Um, and avoid, you know, uh, carpet bombing your inbox whenever, you know, something <laughs> goes wrong with a thousand alarms. We don't want to do that. Yeah. So uh, we're going that way. And we also want to, um, you know, I think the long-term view is, is be able to integrate with whatever AI ops platform our customers want to use. Mm -hmm. And just um, because some customers are, are starting to tell us, like, I don't want five and six different analytics platforms that all have their own data sets and tell me different things. I want all my data from all these platforms in one, you know, analytics platform with one AI that's looking across all the data and, and, uh, and finding things for me. So I think that's our long-term. Yeah. A single glass of pain. A single glass it. of pain. <laughs> yeah. So, so by the sounds of it, you, you're going, down the API route. Have you, have you had a, an API for quite a while? Is it? You know, we have, yeah, we have. Yeah. 
Yes, so we have an API for uh, Safari, a, a public a for API for that. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it gives you access to all our data and it's a little bit, um, it needs a little bit of a handholding to get set up, but we can do that um, with our customers. And then uh, Mobileye, we don't have a public API for yet. So stay tuned. <laughs> Another dumb question. The, the way you're talking about Sapphire and Mobile Eye, they, they sound like two different products in their own, right? Do they all talk to the same backend or have they got separate backends for each bit? Yeah, they're unique. So they each okay. have, yeah, their own, um, their own, their, their, their separate platforms today. Okay. Can they not and is it correlate? As in, what if you've got a Sapphire and a Mobile Eye device in the same vicinity? Is there any way you can kind of somehow interoperate the data to be meaningful for, you know, the, the, these, I don't know what I'm trying to say really, but yeah, no, I, I get it. <laughs> wi <Wi-Fi's>. Not, <laughs> <laughs> not, not currently, currently they're, they're separate, uh, but right. long term. value do you think in trying to maybe, you know, use them yeah. to be interoperable to the, to the point where I guess the Sapphire is the sensor it could see and hear other mobile our clients potentially communicating mm-hmm. and almost, you know, correlate that information so that you get more information because it's your own systems and it's your own devices, your own, sorry, your own software that's sending all this information. Is there a way that you can kind of I don't know, maximize or use more information to your potential and, and give users access to that at the back end as well. And through the dashboard, I mean, is there any benefit for that? Do you see um, by having yeah. communication between the two? No, certainly. Um, we do. We do think there's a lot of potential there, uh, not just for making it easier to have everything and you know under one UI, but also to do more uh, meaningful analysis and, and be able to correlate things we see in Safari and things we see in Mobileye uh, because of their different perspectives on the WLAN and and combine those into yeah. you know more meaningful. Uh, output for the customer. Yeah, I think that's quite Alan, useful. Alan, yeah. don't claim that one as your own idea, like you keep on doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I reckon Jim's it, just saying. He's just sitting there going, "Brilliant, Alan! Brilliant, genius!" Yeah, we've are... been thinking about this for a long time. <laughs> oh, can you heat bagels on your sensors? Yeah, yeah, of course you can. Right? <laughs> I'm just going to keep throwing these stuff out there. Jim's going to be like, "Yeah, that's in development too." so just wondering do you want to jump in with some of the voice messages and see what see what we've got there because i know know we've got one from uh yermond who asks some quite technical things and you've had some uh more technical conversations with him today on twitter haven't you Mm -hmm. Uh, which went straight over my head um that was a good one that was really good uh, i'm gonna because that's something about what I have some questions about that because it was um, a bit of a kind of yeah mind blown type of moment because it's you also relate that to your your most recent blog um, that you wrote about what what's different about AX and six gig so yeah let's yeah. let's spin that message and and Jim has listened to our podcast uh, we did the other week where we went into uh, OFD made some detail I got told that mm-hmm. OFD made some detail he, he, he says that <laughs> just because he's being polite he's on the show Ooh, he's going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to hear Rick Murphy. He's a, I mean, encyclopedic knowledge of the standard. Yeah. So. Well, I'm insulted because I was on that podcast as well. And you didn't <laughs> 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 uh, 
Whatever. You do. I hope you would pick up Wi Fi. Oh, dad. Don't even know what it is. Right. Let's 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 play this. Uh, right now, everyone concentrate. All right, because he has an accent, and even the things that he says, even if he said it with my <laughs> accent, I would still struggle to follow. So let's just take our time. Give him some silence. Steady yourself. Hey, Hope it's Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> you you messed up what I was gonna do. Oh no! <laughs> no, let's play let's play uh, Yemen's one first. Hello, Yemen again. Thank you for a great podcast and bringing in real experts as guests. To Jim, in your latest blog, you write about EDCA optimization and the use of normal EDCA and a separate multi-user EDCA table and tweaking those values to increase the likelihood for OFTMA operation. The draft mostly describes how these values is communicated between the AP and the non-AP station. Can I talk about this and explain it a little better? And if you know of vendors implemented it. Thank you. And I would love to win a seven signal t-shirt. Bye-bye. Of to you, Jim. Awesome. <laughs> First of all, I mean, what a guy. Can you imagine trying to talk uh, about Wi-Fi at a very technical level in a second language? Totally. It's incredible. Would you know something else? His Wi-Fi isn't his first I know. Um, first technical subject. He's actually, um, what is he? Is he rooting switching on other network yeah, technologies? Yeah. So Wi-Fi isn't his specialist He doesn't subject. work on Wi-Fi. He, he doesn't, doesn't work on Wi-Fi on a regular basis. He's got a massive interest and in a passion for it. And enjoys it, yeah. And he clearly loves us. And so, just to add that, by the way, so he's yeah. even kind of you know cool owner. Legend. So, thanks for the question. So, um, what I was talking about in that blog uh, post there was um, in six gigahertz Wi-Fi, uh, where you'll have all 802.11ax stations. Uh, what you can do to get OFDMA to be more likely to happen is alter the uh, contention window sizes in the EDCA access categories that the AP uh, advertises in its beacons. So the AP is always uh, in the beacon frame sh says oh, for, uh, you know, for the four different access categories in, in um, EDCA, otherwise known as WMM, um, this is the size of the contention window. Um, and you can actually modify that. So why would you do that? Well, if you made those contention windows longer, then um, single user contention for the um, channel, which we want to limit, we want the AP to win contention so it can do OFDMA. Single user contention gets um, uh, sort of deprioritized. And remember, even 802.11ax stations can operate in a single user mode. So by lengthening those out, it makes it much more likely that the AP will win contention and then go into our multi-user modes like OFDMA and just, in, you know, in a busy network, ideally that would allow you to just see OFDMA going, you know, in the upload and download direction back and forth almost exclusively and really take advantage of all those efficiency gains.
We can't do that in the legacy bands in 2.4 and 5 gigahertz because the um, uh, legacy clients, you know, uh, 802.11ac and older, they only use EDCA to access the medium. So if uh, 11ax um, AP was dominating the channel access for OFDMA, they would never be able to transmit. Now, the other part of the question was, what about this um, multi-user EDCA um, uh, parameters? And I'm not entirely clear on its purpose, uh, because, but the, the draft talks about the, there being a, a separate set of EDCA parameters for um, 802.11ax stations and um, that actually being somewhat variable from beacon to beacon, those values may change. And actually the AP can send a unique set of multi-user EDCA parameters to individual clients. Okay. So why you would do that and what its purpose is, isn't totally clear to me, but it is something that's unique uh, to 802.11ax and uh, we'll see you know, how that gets utilized. Is, is that something that's just been pulled out of the LTE OFDMA? You, you know, it, it, it's in there, so we've taken it as well? Or? I don't, I, I suppose that's possible. It seems like OFDMA is really the feature that, um, you know, we're borrowing from mm. cellular technologies all the way back to WiMAX, yeah. uh, like Rick talked about. Um, see, I did listen to that one. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that, you know, in, in that kind of operation, uh, contention is, is less, as long as the AP is winning contention, you don't have to worry about, um, EDCA as, as much because, uh, the, the frames coming from the clients have, a, a buffer status field. So the, um, the AP is always aware of, how, you know, the size of the buffers uh, on its stations and it can schedule access based on what those are. It also, I think that those buffer status reports include QoS data. So the AP knows, you know, what the QoS um, situation is as well. So really the scheduler should be handling everything. Um, what, when you, where you might see um, EDCA come into play is for um, this optional feature where you can do um, uh, upload OFDMA um, random access resource units. Mm -hmm. So in an upload OFDMA situation, if a AP has eight RUs and it's already given five to specific clients to use, mm -hmm. it can say, well, these other three are random access. And then um, stations that haven't been granted RUs can actually uh, use um, EDCA contention within those resource units to transmit there without being scheduled. Okay. So okay. if you were so trying, yeah, please. How does that work without the, the preamble and all that stuff being sent before? Because that'll just be, you know, using the random access resource units without sending any of the preamble ahead of that, wouldn't it? The trigger frame, um, that precedes the OFDMA frame uh, will define what um, what the MCS is in those random access RUs. Okay. So I would assume it would normally be pretty low. 
because it doesn't know anything about these stations that are unassociated. And I think the idea is you could use that for association and, you know, action frames and management stuff that's maybe not going to show up in a, a buffer status report. How would, um, so using a lower MCS there might be how would you not a big deal. Hmm. How would you capture all of this happening over <laughs> the air <laughs> in, in kind of real time to see it in action and yeah. troubleshooting in your mind? How, how would, because obviously, you know, the man, Mr. McKenzie's mentioned before, the only way you could probably do this is by using it from an AP effectively. Um, but, but from client side, um, how would, how would you kind of envisage it? I was asking the expert, not you, Christian. I was just going to, uh, this, this is always, this always <laughs> confuses me with capturing traffic, right? Surely if you've got to listen on all of the car- subcarriers, then you can capture on all of the subcarriers. Yeah. My, my um, thought, obviously the AP is, aware of, of the resource unit allocation and uh, you know, what things are going to look like and how to tune its radio. It also tells um, everyone what it's about to do in trigger frames. So it does give the opportunity for a third party radio to um, tune its radio similarly to what the AP is doing and maybe, uh, you know, receive a frame, a multi-user frame the same way uh, an AP does. But I think you'd have to be pretty close to the AP uh, because of the, you know, you, you're not going to get things that are, you know, uh, 10, 24 qualm unless you're, you know, right at the right spot uh, to demodulate them. Uh, so I think it's still an open question uh, as to how that's going to work. I think um, I'm more talking about how you can capture, I guess, most, uh, I guess, all of the resource units, in the house, you know, when they get really small, potentially. Because there's another kind of question surrounded about how to trigger small RUs anyway. Um, I think I might be wrong on that, but that's the discussion I've seen on Twitter. But for me, it's a case of if you've got multiple RU units transmitting, how would you be able to kind of, how would something from the client side, like an analyzer tool, be able to kind of almost know to capture them all and decode them across whatever channel it's on? You'd have to be able to tune your radio to receive those multiple uh, RUs that are uh, separately modulated simultaneously at the same time, the same way an AP does. It's, so, it's not going to happen. Let, let's face it. It's which is why getting a, a it might be specialized hardware. Yeah, which might, is why, yeah, which is why the suggestion is it's going to be done by the AP at the moment. And it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be even more difficult when you're in a, a scenario with more than one access point sharing the channel. Um, don't look. I'm drinking a cup of tea. So I've got a weird combination. My son just came in and he's, he said, I made you a cup of tea. I was like, okay, fine, because I don't want to reject it. And then I was like, there's another beer in Dan's fridge. Go and get me it. <laughs> so I've got I've kind of weird combination Ian going beer. on. So it's What's just, wrong with that? It's just... <laughs> well, it's been you know, talking... <laughs> Talking eight hundred two eleven standards over a beer is is kind of weird anyway, but that's all right. <laughs> we we do it every single week. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best conversations. Like I say, it's it's one of the reasons why the podcast exists because exactly the best kind of conversation when you know you're in a pub or you're in a cafe or in outside of you know normal surroundings, and you can have these free flowing conversations. And sometimes yeah. even with a beer, it relaxes you, and you kind of 
go a little bit deeper in, and especially the new guys. When I first went to a conference, I don't know about you, but you know, I, I felt the, the, the cliche is that, you know, every, you, you look around and you think they're cleverer than you, but they're also looking at you thinking the same thing. And so you so no, not you, Christian, no. No, clearly not. But, <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that you're too afraid to ask these questions because you feel like, yeah, yeah. Sound dumb. Yeah. But when you've had a few we beers, don't mind sounding dumb, so it's fine. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is when you have a few beers, it kind of relaxes you a little bit and you can have these free flowing conversations. And then sometimes you can kind of make, you know, comments or probe questions that press and make others think about their answer because not everyone as you well know, is an expert in Wi-Fi. They, they don't exist. Yeah. And, and to be honest Fair with enough. me, once I've had a couple of drinks, my guard's been lowered enough for me to sort of reach into those places in my mind I haven't visited in a while and pull out the, you know, <laughs> that page 32 of, C, of, of a book that I've read somewhere. And, you know, right, Alan, you can ask me a question sober and I go, I don't have a clue what you're on about. And like four drinks in, you ask me a question. I'm like, oh yeah, no, all that. <laughs> I'm an expert in it. <laughs> but, but, yeah, unfortunately, they don't let you into uh, the global knowledge exam centres um, when you've had a few drinks. <laughs> so, Jim, it'd be interesting to get your opinion then, because what, what was interesting in the previous um, podcast, it might have been the, the one with Rick, actually, about um, the, the statement I came out with, which was um, kind of OFDMA is like the IP version 6. <laughs> <laughs> and six gig is the kind of NAT equivalent, which might be the reason Triggered why it, Christian. It's, more, it's more successful. <laughs> so I guess, I don't know if you've heard it, but the analogy is that, long story short, that um, OFDMA may or may not see the light of day. Yeah, we don't need interesting, it because interesting, we've got six gigahertz. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. interesting what you talked about, um, Edgar, and, and everything else about having contention windows expanded to give the AP greater access to medium to allow it to support more uh, OFDMA clients. And I think that is good. And that's not something I was, I guess, fully aware of, but what's your opinion from what I say in terms of that, that six gig may just be adopted anyway, because it's just extra spectrum that we can use versus this OFDMA and 802.11x feature. Uh, I'm a, a little more bullish on OFDMA than I am on IPv6. Um, <laughs> only in the sense that, only in the sense that I, I can definitely see circumstances where we'd want to be able to do it. So yeah. it's true uh, that for probably 90% of the time in enterprise Wi-Fi, almost all the time in home Wi-Fi, you'll just see single user mode because mm -hmm. what's the point? We don't need OFDMA because we've got these crazy high data rates. We, we don't need um, necessarily more efficient use of the spectrum uh, most of the time. But I do think in like large public venues where they will be taking advantage of six gigahertz, um, it will be easy to saturate it all. And, uh, you know, having OFDMA there to make even higher uh, uh, use of or, or, um, uh, uh, more efficient use of the spectrum is going to be a, a benefit. But um, yeah, for, for most use cases, single user, you know, bread and butter Wi-Fi will, will still continue to work just fine. So, so, so taking your, taking thing you've just been talking there about how in six gigahertz, because we can, we can do that. It, it, it will enable OFDMA to happen more often are you effectively saying that 
OFDMA is virtually non-existent in 2.4 and 5 because we can't do that. Today. Because that's, that's, that's where we case. need it. Yeah, yeah. Because that's where we need it, isn't it? But the, the way it works there is this sort of like an old man cheating on his wife or a younger model, isn't it? You know, the access point wins a contention window and goes, quick, OFDMA, do it quick, 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 quick. Yeah. And then, okay, go back to OFDM. That's, that's, but I, I guess as it becomes more prevalent, there'll be more of those contention windows won and there'll be more OFDMA going on. But it has to be maxed, uh, sort of masked behind uh, OFDM or whatever else, depending on what frequency you're in. Yeah, you know, it all depends on the, the client um, population. Uh, OFDMA is not going to happen very often with just a handful of, of 802.11ax clients on an AP. Um, really okay, so, a... but, so for instance, in say an Apple store where not right now, but you know, in, in a couple of years time where pretty much everything in that store is going to do Wi-Fi six, are you, would, would we still expect OFDM rather than OFDMA. Relatively I, small space, relatively high number of devices. Major city center. It, you know it. <laughs> it's going to depend on what those devices are doing. If they're all streaming video, then yeah, I think we'll see OFDMA occurring, even in the legacy bands with uh, with a primarily 11ax uh, uh, client base. If they're just associating going into power save mode and going to sleep and then, you know, a little bit of web traffic in the background for whatever apps are installed, I think it'll mostly be single user still. I mean, for the, for the AP to want to do downlink OFDMA, it's got to have frame, frames buffered. Yeah. And if it's yeah. clearing frames at 1024 qualm, really, really fast. <laughs> uh, we should, you should really record video because, because this is, I know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if it's, if it can clear time. frames really, really fast, then who yeah. needs OFDMA? It's, it's a bit, it's a bit like, you know, if you've got a 10 gig WAN pipe, you don't have to worry about QoS as much yeah, because the yeah. buffer is just empty all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, th I think that, yeah, it so, does make sense. I thought we were supposed to drink beer, Christian. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> thinking drink. as well. He's like coming with a cocktail. In a... What, what is it? I don't know. She didn't know what it is. <laughs> she just, <laughs> she just <laughs> emptied the stuff from the cupboards. Rum. She's just... Vodka, rum. Grenadine. Grenadine. Ginger ale. Ginger ale. And a bit of your monster drink. A, and a bit of monster, <laughs> nine o'clock. Oh. <laughs> that is rough. Oh my God. <laughs> That's no, nice. It burns my lip. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, she says you're jealous. Love it. Thank so, you, Alan. <laughs> one of the things I wanted to mention too, Alan, uh, about the issue of of capturing traffic in in uh, 802.11ax is uh, we also not only is it very very difficult to get the whole um, OFDM. OFDMA frame, but we don't get preambles when we do packet captures. And in 802.11ax, there is a ton of really important information in the <laughs> high efficiency preamble. 
Yeah. So you've got the BSS color, you've got the uh, preamble puncturing configuration. You've got things about the, um, uh, the resource unit allocation, all some, some of the layer one information about that is in there. Uh, uh, and it, uh, spatial reuse parameters are in the preamble. And uh, we don't see preambles in, in packet capture. So uh, that's another challenge we need to overcome too, because in 11AX, there's a ton of really useful information. It'd be good to see and see there. Maybe, maybe there's a market for seven signal to uh, tap into. <laughs> yes, potentially. So Jim's thinking, yeah, we've already thought about that. It's in development. That's in development, <laughs> Alan. We're, we've got, it's next month. It'll be out. <laughs> so, uh, so the eight signal next that's what it is <laughs> bearing in mind we were just talking about if if we've drunk a bit we can ask stupid questions that so this is my stupid question why don't we capture that stuff the uh the adapters uh strip it out and just follow, just forward the frame upstream where wireshark right. and, and other applications can pick it up so if you look in like the radio tap header it's got some data that the yeah, certain drivers will share from mm -hmm. that preamble, uh, but it's not just like here are the bits from the preamble for you to dissect. So, that, but but that's a that's a firmware issue, or is it a driver driver issue, or is it a a hardware issue? Or, right, Probably okay. hardware. I'm not really okay. not totally sure. Okay, so the other the the other part of the question that we haven't gotten to is. He asked, "Have you seen any vendors oh. that are that are doing what you've what you talked talked about?" No, because it, it'd be really detrimental in the legacy bands with with mixed right. you know uh, mixed client uh, uh, mixed clients, um, and so you wouldn't want to punish your eight hundred two eleven AC and and previous clients. Why not? With a long contention window. <laughs> <laughs> so the world's moved on now, hasn't it? Uh, upgrade to iPhone 11, yeah. bitches. <laughs> no, but you, you joke, but you know, in, in five, ten years' time, it might be uh, an option in config on a controller to, you know, get rid in of the same way. Like as a client, say 2.5 gig. Yeah, they just can never win contention. So yeah. Tough, tough. Yeah, there's your greenfield mode and it's it's always a client <laughs> problem isn't it it's your client isn't winning yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. well and that's the thing you know the the uh the standard leaves the door open so that when six gigahertz comes out when the hardware's there it'll be interesting to see how you know ap's come configured out of the box you know will they have yeah. a different set of edca parameters uh, to discourage single user mode or will they just kind of leave it standard or will they have like an LPV, you know, checkbox where you check this and then suddenly, you know, it behind the scenes changes those values. We'll see. Yeah. I think some, some vendors are struggling out there. I can't, I can't, I might, this might be wrong, but I think Cisco won't do uplink multi-user OFTMA or something like that. If there's more than four clients or is it, uplink multi-user MIMO. I can't remember exactly what it is, but you know, there's more than four clients. It just refuses to do it. So I think, especially in the current bands, vendors are struggling. And, but to be honest with you, the struggle might be the backwards compatibility element rather than the, uh, the actual implementing the, the new features in a greenfield mode. I was going to say, cause it, cause it's, it, it works for mo mobile data, right? For cellular data. So yeah, 
<laughs> like it must yeah, work. Yeah, but the it's... yeah, but the the phone has less control over what it's doing in those instances. You know, the the radio on the other end, whatever you want to call it. I can't think right now. But that's yes. always in control. Cellular and has it, some some big advantages there because yeah. cellular uh, is totally scheduled. It's with the it's scheduled between towers, between cells. Mm -hmm. They're coordinated. We can't do that in Wi-Fi because we don't have, you know, our, our neighbor may be operating an AP that we have no interaction with. So schedulers can only go so far and they're using licensed spectrum that they can pretty safely assume it's going to be available whenever they want it. Whereas we share spectrum with whoever else. So there's a limit, even with no OFDMA works, I think there's, yeah. serious limitations that won't make it as effective as it is in cellular technologies. And and so do you think that's why things like CBRS are, are gaining traction? You know, that's been talked about more because you effectively get both you, the, the, the good things of both you get in, in one place. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, there's that certainty around the, um, spectrum availability mm -hmm. uh, thanks to the SAS mm -hmm. and um, and the spectrum having some uh, some control over who has access to it centrally yeah um, and then there's obviously the protocol LTE and 5g are the protocols that'll be used there first yeah which are really built um, you know to take advantage of that unlike you know, where Wi-Fi isn't uh, and then we sort of get this spillover where in the 3GPP world, they have very tight control over clients and the mm -hmm. quality of the clients and what their capabilities are and, and must be um, because, you know, the 3GPP is dominated by, a, a, well, a few very, very large network operators participate in the 3GPP mm -hmm. and get to complain about clients and have, certain requirements for them before they can access their networks. So we get, we, yeah, we get the residual <laughs> benefit of that. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, LTE clients are obviously going to be designed to operate in on cellular carrier networks and having to, and have to meet their standards. Uh, we get the benefit of that in CBRS too. Yeah. We've got two more voicemails. So uh, uh, Christian, just go on. On, Can I just go one more question? Earlier, you, you sort of mentioned that the random access resource units might be used for action frames or management frames or anything like that. As far as I've, I know, and I haven't read the standard, I'm nowhere near as clever as you guys are, but um, is that is that in the standard? Is Can access points and clients do that, or will they just default to the 20 megahertz wide? Um, uh, random access uplink OFDMA resource units are optional. So it's in the standard cool. and so it can be used it. for cool stuff, but <laughs> well, maybe the Wi-Fi alliance will say it's, it's required. Yeah. Uh, Probably. So not. Apple won't do that. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> so it's, anything it's, that, it's a cool feature. It's never, never adopted by anybody. Let's be honest. Some will, exactly. some won't. And, yeah. and they'll use it only, I think to get the upper hand as a feature set of their product. That's the yeah. only way I ever see anything optionally being adopted because it sounds to me like, the only reason it's optional is just not been rigorously tested enough by anybody. Well, to, there, it, to there's find. actually similar capabilities in the cellular world, right? Because when you turn on a LTE handset, AP can't schedule anything. It doesn't even know it exists. 
so there are some random access methods in mm. the cellular world um, that work. Um, so I, it would be nice, but to a point. I agree it's optional. And with Wi-Fi clients, it's a race to the bottom. So without client support, you know, yeah, we probably with, won't see it. With LTE technology, a lot of it's all scheduling anyway. From the word offset, we're talking about Wi-Fi, which is listened before talk. So it doesn't, I don't know if sometimes you can take stuff from the cellular world only so far and implement it into Wi-Fi because, you know, one of the things I would love to have seen was a complete rewrite of um, the, the protocol for 6 yeah. gig. Yeah. Um, what that involves um, we can debate that all day long, but I think it was a glorious opportunity to turn around and make that greenfield, in my opinion, completely and say, right, you know, this is six gig, this is greenfield. We're not going to do it the way we used to do it. We're going to do it a completely different way and actually make these efficiencies and almost if we had to replicate, yeah, the LTE technology and, and move away from this and before talk and, and go away from it all, I would have been quite happy with that, especially if it meant, you know, significant advancements in, you know, wireless communications, uh, you know, yeah to a degree i share that concern i think the maybe the the largest factor why that didn't happen is that wi-fi clients that operate in six gigahertz are going to operate in the legacy bands with the same chipset mm -hmm. and it would be almost mm -hmm. like coming up with a whole new protocol just for six gigahertz maybe requiring separate hardware certainly higher cost to support it but um, nah, I wouldn't have said hardware. I would have said at the end of the day, it's another radio. So I guess they that's just what need, I mean. maybe yeah. need another radio chain, another antenna. But I still think it's, again, how limited are we, you know, and, and then maybe it comes down to, I don't know, money at the end of the day, um, whether or not it was time. worth their while and time. But I just, I just wonder if it, you know, it, it just seems to me a missed opportunity. Um, I agree. No, I agree. I think I it's technically mean. viable. I, I don't think there was any reason why it couldn't be achieved because there's a hell of a lot more spectrum than there's ever been in five gigabits yeah. for combined anyway. So what would have been the issue? You really have to get it out of the side of the 802.11ax box, right? Because if you think about, well, six gigahertz is 802.11ax spectrum, then it kind of becomes obvious. Well, we can only do so much to improve the protocol and, and support both bands with one radio and so on and so forth. If six gigahertz came along in a separate band, a separate amendment, like the way we've we've gotten 60 gigahertz in um, 802.11 um, AD and AY, yep. um, then there would have been potential to really rewrite the protocol in a, a pretty meaningful way, I think. So but potentially some of the things that are optional, um, like what we've talked about, maybe in six gigahertz could have been mandatory, and that would have bridged the gap a little bit more and put level uh, put six gigahertz on more of a fresh level because don't forget everything we've got now in six gigahertz or everything we're going to get in six gigahertz sorry is going to be the you know the lowest common denominator in protocol as we move forward isn't it unfortunately so and i think in my mind the the real missed opportunity is we just took the bog standard uh, edca protocol uh, that we that exists in 802.11 uh, in all generations of 802.11 and brought it into six gigahertz, and then OFDMA happens inside of that. Mm. So we're still checking and accessing um, the spectrum 20 megahertz at a time, and if this and that if a 20 megahertz block of spectrum isn't isn't idle, 
we don't use it, any subcarriers within it for OFDMA. Mm-hmm. We're, we don't use it at all. And then when we get to OFDMA, after that legacy, if you will, EDCA process, that's when we start slicing and dicing the subcarriers. Um, uh, and we have, you know, that brings along this dependency on the primary 20 megahertz channel being available uh, by, you know, uh, taking some of our uh, management traffic and, act, and, and control traffic and putting it inside resource units, we can free it up a little bit more. But EDCA still needs that primary 20 megahertz channel uh, to be available before anything else happens. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a shame that we brought that along. And Christian, to your point, every generation of Wi-Fi that follows has to have backwards compatibility with 802.11ax to account for its presence in the same band. Um, so missed opportunity for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's a sobering point. <laughs> get, get back to that cocktail Christian I've nearly finished the first glass I've got a jug the worst thing about it I don't I, I don't think we've got ice in the freezer I think it's like the ice from the, you know, the frost she <laughs> just shaved off <laughs> yeah. frost from the yeah. freezer it's probably when she'll get a loaf of bread out or something like that it's all just shit out <laughs> st- sticking his drink to be fine so do you guys like 80 megahertz channel widths I, I run them at, I run them at home <laughs> Quite yeah. happily. Yeah. I, I, run, I run it at home. Yeah. Okay. So I think I think yes is the answer for high throughput, maybe. Um, no for you know, voice. You know what I mean? It, it yeah, there's ways and means. I, I think it having it as a, as a default in six gig is I don't know. I think it's just stupid and and it's a typical american thing if i'm honest because it's just like more is greater you know what i mean it's like well, particularly and, uh, particularly given the it. particularly given the size of the you know the variable size of six the six gigahertz band here we have yeah. uh 1.2 gigahertz so we with 80 megahertz minimum channel widths we still have 14 channels to work with but over there where you have 500 megahertz that <laughs> yeah you have i think six yeah yeah so I, I, i've just checked i'm i'm running 160 megahertz at home <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah yeah uh, there's nothing on five gig at all other than uh, my many access points i've got nothing in five gig and my where i am as well yeah actually yeah. me too i use 80 at home yeah the, the thing is again is it going to be the same concept of primary channels 20 20 megahertz wide because everything's going to be on. It's, you're not going to send a beacon over 80 megahertz wide channels, or is that the concept? The standard actually leaves open a few possibilities for beacons. Uh, it's an interesting question. So that we'll see. We'll have to wait and see what the AP vendors do. But you can do your good old uh, 20 megahertz OFDM beacon on the primary, uh, like like you'd expect. You can also modulate that with um, uh, 802.11ax modulation, one of its uh, MCS and spatial streams uh, sets. That's um, what Rick was talking about, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, question, you know, having MCS beacons not at legacy. Sorry, I'll rephrase it. At the minute, we've got legacy beacons. Right at 54 yes. megabits per second is the maximum you can go. So even N and AC pure environments, they can't. You know, you know, basically take advantage of the fact that you might not have any legacy A 
B or G clients, for example, right? Even N, you can consider legacy. Well, you couldn't, but you get what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So having a pure AC kind of environment, Greenfield, you, you can't because you're kind of stuck. Whereas, you know, maybe moving with the X into six gig, it, it presents an opportunity to go, okay, cool. Let's just purely go with, you know, a, you know, let's not go with a six megabit preamble. All right. We've done that to death and I keep preaching this shit and I sound like a broken record, <laughs> but then go with the beacon. That's still there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, that, that that's a, that's kind of like that's just a hamstring problem, really. It's just stupid. But again, but why even go even further and and like you know shoot yourself in the other foot by going well, let's just stick to fifty mega fifty megabits beacons maximum. Yeah. Why not try and actually sort of say, well, let's send out beacons at you know faster MCS rates, for example, that can be supported in that frequency band. To me, it just makes more logical sense to kind of have that progression. With, with Wi-Fi and the new standard and the new protocol, but I don't know if uh, I don't know if that's going to come. Uh, I don't know. It might. The the draft um, allows for that possibility. It also allows for that traffic to be transmitted with multiple spatial streams. So if every um, client in a BSS has two or more spatial streams, why not send all your um, uh, uh, acts and trigger frames and uh, control and action frames with two spatial streams and you know high efficiency okay. modulation if if everyone can hear it um, beacons obviously got, are a special case but yeah that go means ahead. MIMO clients right but we typically don't have a great deal of like apple ios devices tend to be size devices right so it's not really gonna it, again it's one of these ones is it gonna happen it's like come on there needs to be some sort of equilibrium and some sort of balance between you know, the, the manufacturers like Apple and the consumer market and, and the fact that the iOS devices are so capable, they need to be potentially my, my capable but, to support but, all yeah. this advancement. I don't, so I don't again, know what we'll see. Yeah. I don't know what we'll see in six gigahertz. You know, it's really presented as this opportunity for performance gains. Um, so it'd be nice to see multiple spatial streams in most clients. I think the overriding concern is just battery consumption. But I think Apple's Apple's nicer stuff is uh, is two spatial streams, like their their Pro. I don't I don't know I don't know what their models are anymore. But the nice iPads, the nice phones are are two spatial I, streams. I think pretty are much all the, phones, no. all the phones are two spatial streams. As far as no, I'm no, right before ten and before. Well, I don't know about ten because they went AX, but before ten, um, they were all one. Yeah, no, they didn't sorry, do either, I, all I meant, side side I, meant yeah. I meant current. So like SE. 11, 11 Pro. With the AX chipset, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, possibly. I don't know, actually. Yeah, and That's all, the, all the current generation iPads are all me as well, as far as I'm aware. That's good. But I, I guess I guess it goes back to the question, like, what, what are client vendors doing about 6 gigahertz? Because I've, I've said it before, 5 gig and 6 gig are shoulder to shoulder, and you could probably do some smarts with those antennas to have you know, like a software defined radio type thing where you can transmit with Mimo if you want with two spatial streams because you've got two radios that are close and you can almost match them or it's just going to be separate CSO antennas and nobody's actually, I don't think we've seen any real answers to what client vendors are doing. No, I think um, the, chi the, the chipset manufacturers have stuff on the market, uh, but I don't, I think there's maybe one phone, smartphone from maybe Asus that's been announced that'll be Wi-Fi 6E, but you know, we'll see. 
Yeah. Of course, it's all pretty standard anyway, so we'll see. But what what, what you want, Alan, is one of the uh, like antennas that comes out, and you can change the size. You know, just, just you know. pull it out and yeah. push it back down again. Yeah. So we go back I think, to the I think should we? Yeah, you know, so some of the RTL SDRs, you know, that uh, the ham radios guy use, they, they, they're extendable. Yeah. They can change the, the length of the antenna to match the, the frequency. Just need a, a big whip antenna like, like there this. There we one. go. That's the one. Yeah. So yeah. I can yeah. see how it bends. Nice. See, that's portable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get out of that on my phone. No problem. Yeah. Oh, you just put a hole in your pocket and put it in upside down. <laughs> yeah, very cool look. You've, you've got loads of holes in your pockets, haven't you, Christian? <laughs> <laughs> no money in them. He's got short, to... ha- short arms, isn't he? In deep pockets. <laughs> short arms, deep pockets. We've got, we've got two, we've got two more voicemails. So let's let's play the the next actual useful one. Two seconds. Hello, this is Jan from Italy. A question for Jim Veda: Is it possible to use a contention mechanism for Y channels in eleven and eleven AC? aggressively and, and legally against a neighboring AP. Thank you. Twitter handle, monorail handles. Can, can we right. do an illegal disclaimer? Disclaimer now. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Follow your regulator, your spectrum regulator's rules. <laughs> yes. Views um, expressed are completely gyms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, I, I mean, I don't, th- think there are APs that, uh, you know, like allow you to go uh, to violate, you know, the, the built-in EDCA limitations on, on contention, as far as I know. Um, he did mention wide channels, which I thought was interesting. You can get access to the medium a little bit better if, if you have an AP that supports uh, dynamic bandwidth operation in 802.11ac. And um, preamble puncturing in 802.11ax, both of those are optional features. Um, and so DBO was not widely implemented, uh, but um, uh, those do give you access to a portion of the wide channel um, if, uh, if some of it is already um, busy. But I, I mean, directly, I, no, I don't think there's any way to kind of win the contention Legally. more often than your <laughs> next door neighbor <laughs> what about using what about the end protocol and maybe assessment or that kind of thing so because the end so, protocol for secondary scanning doesn't follow any type of uh, preamble detect it just goes i'm just going to blast and transmit whereas yeah. ac i think they introduced it didn't they? They introduced i think it was a it was a uh, it was a preamble detect where i can't ever remember this is where still my mind, energy i need to look for my post-it notes on my desk in my mind again um <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still energy detect yeah energy detect sorry there you go so um so n you would i would probably use an n client for that versus an ac client because an n client five gig would probably just blast and transmit anyway <laughs> That, that is a good point. An 802.11n client is not nowhere near as sensitive in the secondary channels during CCA. And actually, the very first draft of 802.11n had zero CCA requirement for that secondary channel. So if you can find like some pre-standard <laughs> junk on eBay, <laughs> and you can put you know your your secondary channel on your neighbor's primary. You could probably give them a really uh, yeah, bad day. It's funny. 
quite, quite, quite a, a lot of eleven in devices were pre-draft uh, were draft devices anyway, weren't they? There were there they were. Yeah, Indeed. yeah. I were. think it's most of them yeah. started at draft two, though, didn't they? But you, yeah. you could always just do the uh, you know I can't remember the name is it simultaneous RTS and CTS and just blast your channels with that non HD uh, duplicate, yeah, which comes all the way into um, 802.11ax. We still have that. Tiff my tongue. Exactly what I was going to say. It's actually one of the ways you can transmit beacons in ADA to 11AX. So you have this 80 megahertz wide channel. In six gigahertz, you can transmit four 20 megahertz uh, non HD duplicate beacon frames on each of your sub channels simultaneously. And each one will indicate where the primary channel is. So it's an option in the draft. Probably no one will use it. It's <laughs> uh, kind of minutia right. that's kind of interesting. You've, you just led me down into a, another an, another question now. So the way I understand it is, and we talked about this with Rick, clients cannot beacon on six gigahertz for a reason I cannot remember. They can't probe. They yeah, can't no, probe. No, no, one, yeah. um, they can't blind probe. So they can probe after they've heard an AP. Right. Okay. Yeah. You've answered my question already. Never mind. All right. Move on. <laughs> yeah, and actually, at least at least here in the U.S., that that comes from the FCC, um, because there are incumbents on the band. They don't want massive amounts of clients just blindly probing, which can actually lead to huge increases in channel utilization in some cases, like large public venues. Right when everybody shows up, their phones are just probing away looking for APs. Um, so that's, they want to protect incumbents. That's yeah. one way we reduced uh, channel utilization in 2.4 is by opening up our SSIDs and not, our, our guest SSID and not re- requiring anyone to log in or anything like that. Clients just joined and they sat there happily forever. Um, there you go. But to be honest, I think that that is a good idea. Instead of having to scan the entire six gigahertz frequency, you can just ask your five gig. I think it'd be better if you could just ask your 2.4 gig radio, what five gig and six gig channels are there and, you know, just have a bit of fun. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice discovery mechanism because you can just you hear one beacon in a legacy band, and you've discovered two radios, the two point four or five gigahertz, and also the six gigahertz radio. So definitely nice. That's one of that's one of Andrew McHale's bugbears, uh, isn't it? The fact that clients spend so long discovering in DFS. Yeah, and actually, in, in six gigahertz only mode. So the draft kind of foresees a time when you might have a WLAN that has no 2.4 or 5 gigahertz radios in it. Um, uh, an AP can uh, use a couple of different methods, but they can be beacons. They can be uh, unsolicited probe responses sent to the broadcast address which I don't know, just send a beacon, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a strange thing to do. Or a fills discovery uh, frame, a fast initial link set up from 802.11 AI. But they're supposed to send those every 20 uh, TUs. And the draft defines certain uh, uh, preferred scanning channels that are 80 megahertz apart. So in the US, you'd have 14 um, channels to scan in the UK, you'd have six, um, and you'd only have to dwell for 20 milliseconds on each one. Well, so passive scanning just... can actually be pretty efficient if, if that's how things go. Why didn't they just mandate 11K? 
11K is another, actually another way for that to work. So um, you could send a, you could get a neighbor report from an AP in one of the legacy bands that also shares in its neighbor report, here's my six gigahertz radio. So you could discover it that way. And of course, in the six gigahertz only, you know, six Mm. gigahertz only operation, 11K is going to be really efficient too. But it's still optional, isn't it? It's one of the one of the clean start things we could have had. If it were mandatory in six gigahertz, that'd have been a lot better. Um, it's I think it's optional in the standard. Wi-Fi Alliance has done some things with uh, Wi-Fi six certification uh, that have kind of finally brought along some other capabilities. I don't know if eleven K and eleven V were included in this, but eleven um, W protected management frames are required. I think 11R might be required because WPA3 is required. Yeah. And WPA3 is required for Wi-Fi 6 certification, if I'm not mistaken. So we're kind of finally bringing some of those 15-year-old features (laughs) into clients. The thing is that you can get some products that are Wi-Fi 6 certified and those that aren't Wi-Fi 6 certified yet still support Wi-Fi 6. Well, yes. Explain that. Explain that. I think Apple. It's, it's only because that. I say Apple, <laughs> Apple. Apple just don't do it, do they? they just oh, don't. It's not just Apple. It's but they actually support eight to eleven R, K, and V most of the yeah. time. It's it's, it's yeah. a big enough head of steam, though, isn't it, to make most other you know smaller vendors who aren't part of the Wi-Fi alliance or Apple to go All right. Maybe we need to start paying attention to what they're doing because that's what we need to support to join the network. But again, I, it's not backwards compatible. Apple are more swayed by what cisco want them to do than they are by what the wi-fi alliance want them to do cisco's access points there it's the other way around (laughs) apple's the two trillion dollar gorilla cisco's like the 40 billion dollar no no and cisco wi-fi certified in terms of who are we going to listen to wi-fi alliance or cisco Apple are more likely to go to Cisco. Hey, oh, yeah. what should we what should we make sure so that our devices work really well on your networks? What should we make sure we add? Like, well, they're not others because the Cisco access points were all Wi-Fi certified or certifiable. Not all. They're not all except certified. for no, except for like the ninety-one or whatever crap they brought yeah, out. Even Cisco, yeah, even Cisco <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Even Cisco brought out their new ninety-one ninety whatever x100 so the 9150 yeah. and the 91 9130 and whatnot are wi-fi 6 capable but not wi-fi 6 certified no no not it uh 20 or whatever it's not it is. There's, there's only they one are, the 15 certifiable. certifiable certified and certifiable there's two different terms and compatible because no, they've got they've got compatible and which compatible. means yeah, yeah. It, it's which wi-fi means it it's, it's 802.11x whatever yeah. already and they've got wi-fi certifiable Already Wi-Fi it's already line a mess. certification. Yeah, is it's, just it's a mess. Obsolete. It's, a mess. it's just incom- yeah. it's just just let's just ignore it because Apple do. Anyway, when was the last time they actually had a Wi-Fi certified? Uh, Two thousand and five, I think it was. Device from the client perspective, exactly. So it's all bullshit. And I mean, Apple has some of the clients that have the best capabilities too. Mm-hmm. So even without it, they're doing just fine. They just can't run your software. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, the only, that's the only downside. So don't buy Apple. No, 
Android, please. <laughs> The, the laptops are right to buy. Just don't buy yeah, any, yeah. any of the iOS stuff. I never knew that about rubbish. Mac OS, by the way. That was an interesting fact. So, knew what? Never knew that Mac OS. And even I always wondered why they were so different. And it's because it's a it's built legacy Unix. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I never knew but, that. Free BSD, I think. Yeah. The iPhone is also built on that, isn't it? Because that was a big thing when they released the iPhone back in the day. You know, it's built on Mac, and it turns out it's completely different in every. Nearly everywhere, shape or form. Eventually, they're going to go to one operating system across all platforms because that's where Cisco have gone from ditching RS completely, and now they're going to go across all of their controller and AP platforms. All going to be. I don't know. I think. I think Apple will always doing it. Yeah. Apple will do the same. I promise you. I still think Apple will leave the the Mac open for the super users because they've got a big development community and stuff like that. And they've well, it was Steve Jobs who said, "Well, the Mac is the truck." They don't care. They don't care. They don't, they're, honestly, they'll, they'll just be like, "Now nah, we're I, doing it." And I want to see that I, when when this is on its own, it's iOS, and then I plug it into a screen, and it becomes That's, macOS. Don't you? Know, the, the the pain mm. that that like it must have been fifteen years ago when I saw that. Yeah, or an iMac with a slot in the side. Straight. Yeah. Do you know what I'd love That's to see is an iPad that and someone develops an app for an iPad that mimics a macOS screen, so that you can kind of almost just use it you know we were talking about so, earlier so what i just said mac os where, the app are we, is that what you said i didn't listen i wasn't listening i was literally just thinking about something in my own head and jim's already developing that with seven signals on the road i've just realized there's a picture in the background in in the pub right on the shelf that is that you with hair no no. no, it's well. It's just slightly, slightly longer hair than what I have now. <laughs> you look hold older. It up the you look older. Hold it up. Hold it up. Hey, hold it up. Take a screenshot, in here. <laughs> take it. a screenshot. <laughs> I'll, I'll crop it so you, you little in it, in it. But that's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> um, right, Jim, we've got one last voicemail for you because I'm aware we're we're two hours in. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good evening, Alison, Donna, Karen and Rose. It's Andrew McHale here. I've got to say, I'm very excited about your upcoming appearance on the Loose Women show. I've got a question for Jim. It's a little bit off topic. But uh, I was wondering, was he moving when he took that photo that he uses for his uh, Twitter profile picture? Or was someone stood holding his bike up from behind? Thanks. Have a great show. Okay. No, that was, I was, I had a, so I had my phone out like this with like a wide angle uh, fisheye lens on it and just snapped a pic. And because the, uh, it was sunny, it was, you know, high frame rate. So it froze nice. the action. I was going to say, because that, that bike looks like it would be quite difficult to balance if you were still and clicked in. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know what, actually he might be talking about the, image on the top of my profile Oh, on the top one right yeah okay yeah yeah that was another like sunny day high uh or fast shutter speed so really freezing action i was not uh balancing i was not doing a track (laughs) stand (laughs) because the photography is one of your big loves isn't it you're you're an avid photographer um Mm -hmm. the the i i had actually for a while i had your uh wlpc 2020 
picture as my back my desktop background um that's awesome that a, thanks that was a great that was a great photo really nice yeah it's uh the american southwest has some of the darkest skies anywhere and uh if you get away from the cities and phoenix is a big city to get away from but <laughs> the skies are just incredible yeah uh so you know one of the things that i i do when i set up my camera for astrophotography is i have to align the tripod with the north star um okay. and so usually you look for the big dipper and it just kind of points at the north star it's very easy but out there, I looked kind of in the direction of where it should be, and I couldn't see a single constellation because there were, it was just stars everywhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah. every part of the sky was just packed with stars. I couldn't pick anything out. Uh, it was really incredible. So it was nice. Ooh, competition. Oh yeah, competition. Yeah, yeah. Did we only have the three questions? Yeah. How many t-shirts you got, Jim? <laughs> um. Yes, three three. We can do three. All right, I'm a Christian, Dan, and Alan. <laughs> <laughs>